0: as you go on on to perfection become more mature in the things of the lord it is necessary to have a complete grasp and a functioning working understanding of the elementary doctrines in the book of uh, hebrews chapter 11 excuse me hebrews chapter 6 paul or the writer says therefore leaving the principles of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the doctrine of baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So far, we have addressed the doctrine of repentance, from acts that lead to death, and we are in the middle of a discussion of faith toward God. We are working from the definition of faith found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the previous broadcast we explained how as you grow up in the things of God, you start out with faith being the faith of a child. And the emphasis of faith then is for the things for which you have a need. And commonly, as a child, you think in terms of need for money and health, for being alive and doing well. But as you grow up and you become more and more mature, that understanding of faith must also grow up. And we were speaking of the different stages of maturity for a son of God. We spoke of uh, when you are a newborn son of God, you are still a son, but your condition is one of an infant. And the scriptural reference to that condition and stage of life is Nepias. and when you grow from there and you have a little bit more maturity but you're still a baby, it's a padeon. From there you become more and more responsible and that stage is described with the word technon, akin to being a teenager. Beyond that is the stage of huios, H-U-I-O-S, and it means to be a fully mature son taking care of the father's business. And finally, you come to the stage of pater, P-A-T-E-R, where you are able to take care of others younger than you in the Lord, give direction and oversight to them. Now, this teaching is not about the stages of growing up in the Lord. This teaching is about faith. And so we were just matching the levels of faith with the levels of your maturity in the things of the Lord. We looked at the twin definitions of faith found in the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and we worked from faith being the evidence of things not seen. That brings us now fully into the continuation of that particular doctrine. The scriptures teach us that there is an entire realm of the eternal and that it is invisible. The eternal is coming into view while the natural is fading away. And it is very normal for us as believers to see the eternal as it comes into view and see less of the natural as that which defines our place of life and being. Here's an interesting comment made by Paul in the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says what I just told you. We actually know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul who said these things. In the 16th verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what is said. Therefore, we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. That is, the weight of glory outweighs the light and momentary trials. So, he says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Now that's obviously a dichotomy, because it is normal to fix your eyes on what you can see. But what is unseen, you cannot fix your eyes upon. But here he says, so we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Obviously he's speaking about the eyes of your faith, not the natural eyes. Or if you like, the eyes of your spirit. Focused through faith, because he says, for what is seen is temporal of this earth, but what is unseen is eternal. So there is an entire realm, the entire realm of the eternal being unseen is, as it were, off the screen. Faith is the evidence of that unseen realm being presented to us in a routine fashion by God throughout all the stages of our Sonship. So when you start out as a small child, the thing that God shows you about the unseen is His willingness to meet your needs. Well, that's not unlike what a parent does when a child has needs. When a child has needs, the needs are pretty vocal. The child speaks in the language of children. They cry and whine a lot, complain a lot. Well, that's normal. See, it's not wrong to cry and, and, and uh, call attention to your need. It's not wrong in, its, in the right time of your life. When a child is a a babe in arms, that's how the child will call attention to need. If the child is wet, needs changing. If the child is hungry, the child is scared, the child is tired, it has one response, it cries. You don't say to the child, what is wrong with you, tell me, because the child has no ability to communicate with you in that way. So it's an acceptable way of communication when the infancy of the child is the corresponding condition. But when you are mature in the Lord, you are not meant to cry and whine and complain because you should have acquired some additional skills, some additional strengths and maturity and refinement because you are growing up in the Lord. That being so then, Faith must keep pace with that. And God will begin to move away from answering your needs in the areas of your primary concern as a means of getting you to focus on something more than your health and your finances. So when you, when you want to insist on God continuing to supply you in these areas, as the condition of his faithfulness to you, do not be surprised if all of a sudden there are no finances, or if all of a sudden your health is is going to part, as it were. You see? Now, at that point, ask yourself, where am I seeing, in what place in my life am I seeing the goodness of God? In my own life. I remember that as God began to change me from my work in the legal profession and in business and those things, I had gone into these things with the hope of supplying for my own needs. But God began to dry up those areas. And I remember saying to God, you're treating me as as a beggar, and a vagabond, and a scavenger. What was interesting is, at the same time, in those days, um, I devoted a lot of time to the Christian conciliation service, where we reconciled disputes between believers. And I could walk into a very difficult dispute, and God would give me the wisdom and the insight to just break through and see the marvelous results. And I remember one time I was in a meeting with an Episcopal priest. And he said to me, he said, you're intimidating to me. And I, I looked at him as if to say, I'm intimidating to you. You're fully employed and I'm still hoping that God will pay my bills. You know, Why would I be intimidating to you? And he said, in effect, he said, Well, you seem to have no trouble hearing what God wants in these very difficult situations. And when you say it, it's like we all knew that was the right answer, but we wouldn't have thought it up ourselves. Well, see, I could not see my prosperity. I was looking for God to pay my bills as the sign that He was prospering me. When the prosperity was resident in the area to which he had brought me and to which he now wanted to direct me. He wanted me to see that my call was to serve the body of Christ by bringing order and establishing the government of God. I was still back here wanting for God to pay my bills. I would have been happy at the very time that I was experiencing exceedingly abundant prosperity in God's direction. I would have traded all of that in an instant, for God paying my bills. But what God was looking at was it was time for me to move from the state of a young child into the state of handling the business of the kingdom. And He was clearly showing me the evidence of His goodness in relationship to how the kingdom had been given to me in greater measure. And it was time for me to learn that I was to seek the kingdom first, and then the things that used to preoccupy me would be given to me as a matter of course, rather than taking thought for what I would eat, what I would drink, or wherewithal I would be clothed, according to Matthew 6. He said the unbelievers, the Gentiles, are concerned about these things, and it's okay for you to be concerned about these things when you are but a small child. But when you're growing up in the Lord, I require you not to spend your time being concerned about these things and look for where you will see my prosperity. When I prosper you by handing the kingdom to you, by giving you the insights into the kingdom, then that's where I'm taking you. So follow here, observe my goodness, not back here in the stage of your infancy, instead observe my goodness over here in the stage of your maturity so the scriptures say when for the time you are to be teachers you still have need that one should teach you these elementary doctrines we should have learned these the elementary doctrine of faith so that as god transitions us we would not try to keep god not try to hold god to the standards of faith that worked when we were children But now, if God continues to allow us to define faith in those terms, He Himself would be responsible for our growth being stunted. As I've moved on in the Lord, from just being able to administrate and handle the kingdom, as I've moved on, I became aware of the need to answer very difficult and vexing questions that had been in the body of Christ for eons, for 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 year, for centuries, year upon year, century upon century, such thorny issues as um, freedom, free will, and the foreknowledge of God, or such issues as if you if the dead in Christ already go in go to heaven, then why are they subsequently raised, and what is raised? All those very difficult things. Um, to mention just two of hundreds of difficult things. What then God began to do was prosper me in a whole different area. No longer was it just to prosper me in finances, or to prosper me in terms of being able to bring order and government to the kingdom, but now He's prospering me with giving me the riches of the understanding of the kingdom of God and the mysteries of the kingdom because I'm in another place. If I'm still insisting that God should be concerned and preoccupied with my finances, when he's showing me that he's giving me the greatest, of, or or certainly among the greatest, of the riches of the kingdom, which is the treasures of wisdom and revelation, because, you see, God didn't give me the treasures of wisdom and revelation when I was young in the Lord. I would be boastful about them. I would be proud. I'd have no place for their usage because my stature in the body would have been that of a small child. So the only thing I could do would be to boast about revelation, but I would still then have complained about not having my needs met. Now I understand that as I pursue God and seek the kingdom, that he gives me the riches of the kingdom and he also gives me And takes care of the other needs that I have for finances and for health and those things. It's not like God doesn't deal with that anymore and your finances are shoddy and your health terrible. It's not that. It's that as you come forward in the maturity of the things of God, He takes care of everything in the process. So He still blesses me with authority to bring order, but He's now taken me up to a different place of giving me insight and understanding of the mysteries to bring order in a whole different sphere. My point is that faith is meant to increase, and if I, as a small child in the Lord, saw the goodness of God when He provided for me, in finances, and, and a parking space, and the exact dollar amount that I had talked about that I needed for a particular thing, or the exact outcome, or a miraculous work that I was late to catch a flight, and the flight, the same flight had been delayed, and so on, and so on, and so on. If God showed me His goodness there, and then later God showed me His goodness at another stage, and His goodness another stage. What ought I to conclude? I ought to conclude this, that I have been well supplied with the abundance of evidence, with the quantum of evidence necessary for me to have no doubt that though the kingdom of God is unseen, the evidence that I have been given of its existence makes it absolutely real. So then what is faith? Faith is the evidence of the unseen being given to you to induce your reliance on the unseen as real, even though you cannot see it. There comes a point then where seeing the thing is of little value to you. Seeing the kingdom in terms of Uh, here it is or there it is, is of no value to you because you understand that the kingdom cannot be visible and be the kingdom as well. Because the scope of what is encompassed by the kingdom and the very nature of the kingdom makes it invisible to the physical realm and to the natural world. But its existence is not in doubt though it cannot be measured, captured, or quantified by the tools and the apparatus of the natural realm. So we then, who have fled the beggarly elements, these things back here, to put our confidence in the Most High, will never be ashamed of that. So what if God then tells you something, but it is not coming to pass yet? What should be your reaction? Well, you've seen the goodness of God here, and you've seen the goodness of God here, and you've seen the goodness of God here. Well, if that is true, and there's a consistency in your life, in all of the stages of your life, there's a consistency to seeing the goodness of God, then when God has told you something, but you're waiting for its fulfillment what should you be thinking about? Should you be waiting nervously? Should you be waiting as if it's not going to happen? No. You should be setting your plans as if what God told you has already come to pass and you're setting your plans to receive it, to accommodate to it, and to manage and steward it as the Holy Spirit would give you um, would give you direction. At that juncture then, Not only do you have evidence of God's previous dealings with you as the foundation of your belief, but now there is a different element that has been introduced, and that element is the certainty that you can act in anticipation of what God has told you. Faith, you see, is also the substance of things hoped for. At this point... Hope, then, is not wish. Hope is that in consistent conformity with what God has previously declared to you, you are basing your actions for the future. Let me say it again. In consistent conformity with what God has previously shown you, you are basing your actions and your plans for the future. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. At this point, then, hope is not wish. Hope is certainty. Hope is security. Hope has no element of uncertainty to it. Hope means that God, who has given you the substantive awareness, is substantive promise, and has always been faithful in the substantive promises when the thing that he's now substantively promised you is waiting to be fulfilled, you don't act as if it's not going to. Because your hope is not a wish that it would happen, but the certainty that this future too, when the past when it becomes the past, will be as certain to you as every other thing that God substantively brought forth, having previously promised it to you. You then begin to understand that the way God deals with you is that He first promises, then you must wait because there is the element of His timing for all the reasons that His timing works to bring things into alignment, to work things in you to work things in others, to prepare all manner of things so while the thing is waiting, it is not as if it is not going to happen you therefore wait in the certainty that it is going to happen and you allow the work to be done in you to you allow the work that needs to be done in you to be done in you to prepare you to be able to receive that which is coming forth in the timing of the Lord with the certainty of all the previous promises that God has made to you and fulfilled to you with a rigorous regimen that has been unfailing throughout the course of your life Now if you will come to that place of seeing hope in that fashion, what will happen to you? Your confidence in the living God will transform your outlook on life. Then your confidence will not be in what God can do for you, and whether or not you've done all the things you need to do to get God to do it for you, your confidence is in the fact that you can hear God and the fact that whatever God tells you, He always does. Wow, what a whole different definition to faith. The substance of things hoped for. God telling you first and then bringing it to pass with almost a monotonous, regimen a routine way and then God giving you evidence of the thing that cannot be seen but giving you evidence in every stage of your growing up so that having trust and confidence in the living God is perfectly compatible with every stage of your maturity as a Christian it you wear it like a second skin it is the operative framework of your being in this present world. Then you can go on to maturity. Then you can go on to maturity because then you are confident of the living God. You know His nature, you know His character and in that, above all else, in that, you are secure. You should have always known about faith like this. This is the elementary Impartation of the knowledge of faith. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue in this series of the elementary doctrines. God bless you. I'll see you next time. Bye bye.